All right. Our text this morning, as we continue our time in the Gospel of Mark, is from Mark 5, and we're going to read 1 through 20. And I'm going to ask again that you listen as we have been, as if this is the first time you have heard this story, to see how it strikes you in this moment. It reads like this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. (coughs) When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. (coughs) Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Please join me in prayer. Bless us this day, O Lord, with vision. May this place be a sacred place, a telling space, where heaven and earth meet. Amen. So I was thinking, as uh, I was looking at this text and and thinking about the situation and the context of what's happening here. Have you ever been in a situation in life 
where you go through or you're going through something really hard and now you're finally on the other side of it. And immediately as you get on the other side of it, something else happens that completely blows your mind and terrifies you. Anybody ever been there before? Right? You know, I think we have that experience sometimes in life. This, this we kind of get through and then we're like, oh. And then immediately something else happens. That's what's happening in this text. If you're paying attention to context as we go through the story, you'll, rem- you'll remember that right before this, Jesus gets in the boat. Well, where did he get in the boat from? Well, they got in the boat on the other side of the lake. What had happened and what happened as they were crossing the lake? Non-rhetorical question. Storm, Storm Right? They get out into the middle of the lake and it's the whole story where there's this great storm and Jesus is just snoozing in the front of the boat. The disciples are freaking out. Jesus calms the wind and the waves. All of that, right? And they get through that and so you can imagine they get to the shore. They're soaking wet. They're probably cold. It's dark because the text also tells us that it was evening when they started out, right? And they get to the shore, and the text tells us that immediately this, this demon-possessed man comes for Jesus, right? Throws himself on the ground in front of Jesus. This story takes place on the other side of the storm. I imagine that this probably threw the disciples off a little bit. And I find it interesting that Mark doesn't really say anything about it, right? I mean, these are the same disciples who were flipping out just a little while ago when the storm was raging, right? So you can imagine that as they get to the shore in the dark and they probably hear this demon-possessed man up on the hills coming down and he's screaming at Jesus, right? And, and it probably freaks them out. And Jesus just seems to address the man. He doesn't seem surprised. He doesn't seem troubled. He simply says, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Jesus recognizes and knows his authority. Now this is no run-of-the-mill demon-possessed man. Right? The description that Mark gives us is pretty, uh, pretty vibrant, really. I mean, one of the things I love about Mark is which details he chooses to share and which he leaves out. Sometimes it's enough to drive a person crazy. Right? I mean, there are things we would like to know about all kinds of other stories in the gospel. In this particular incident, he is very specific about this man. This man was tormented by a legion of spirits. And he was so tormented that he could tear apart chains and break irons. And people must have been terrified of him. Which is why they have basically banished him to live in the cemetery. Because people don't go to cemeteries They are unclean, right? They're not a place where people hang out. And so that's where this man lives. It's also important to recognize 
that Jesus has now moved from territory. In Mark 4, he's on the other side of the lake. He's in Jewish territory. He's speaking to the elect. He's speaking to the people of God. And he has now moved across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, which is in the Decapolis. The Decapolis are ten cities that are, base, that are mostly Gentile in makeup. And so Jesus has very intentionally left the people of Israel and come to an area that is primarily Gentile. And upon entering that territory, he immediately has this interchange. And he asks the man, what is your name? Now Jesus isn't just asking for the man's name because you, answer, you recognize that that's a detail that Mark left out, right? The only name we know this man by is that of the demons that are possessing him. He doesn't answer Jesus by saying, well, my name is Corey, and I'm possessed by, no. He says, I am legion, right? So why does Jesus ask for his name? Well, in the Bible, name often stands for nature. And so what Jesus is doing is he's asking the man to, or asking those demons to identify themselves and their nature, which is exactly what happens. And it's not just one, it's a legion. It's a whole bunch, right? Now, a lot of, you can read a lot of commentaries where people try to assign a lot of me different meanings to all these different things. I would recommend that you not do that. The point here is not the alleg you know, allegorical. The point is a point of authority and a point of dominion. Jesus is sovereign over these demons. That's the point of this story. And so when he asks for their name and they give it, he is um, asserting that authority. That's what's happening. Now what's interesting, this is when the story gets interesting. And again, um, <coughs> Mark is giving all these details that are somewhat lost on us. But it's, a, it's important to recognize a couple of things. So it says then in verse 11 that there are a large herd of pigs on the hillside. And so this is actually a picture of the region that Jesus was in. So you can imagine pigs all over here. And you can imagine what happens to the poor pigs after Jesus is done with legion. Right? But the pigs are, a part of what's happening there is that we're recognizing that we are no longer in Jewish territory, right? Because clearly, Jews do not eat pork, and so they would not keep pigs. Now there's conjecture about, uh, you know, who's herding these pigs and all that. I think we have to go with the simplest explanation. That now that we're in the Decapolis, these pigs are being tended by people who are Gentiles. Right? And um, now here's, the, here's where it gets interesting. We recognize, or I invite you to imagine, that you're a pig farmer. You have a nice little herd, a couple thousand, couple thousand, I don't know if they call pigs head or not. That's what they call cattle, right? 
couple thousand, couple thousand pigs in your herd. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a co-op. Right? Maybe it's a bunch of pig farmers who are together for safety or whatever. And here comes Jesus across the water. Here comes the demoniac down to, the, you know, to meet him, to beg him uh, to, to uh, not hurt them. Right? And so what does Jesus do? Well, after they beg him, he says that he gave the spirits permission to come out of the man and to go into the pigs. Bad day to be a pig. Bad day to be a pig farmer. Because those 2,000 pigs automatically, you know, just immediately go flying down that hill into the lake and they're destroyed. Now, you can imagine that there's some feelings going on here. Now, I'm a five on the Enneagram, if you're into that kind of thing. I, I, uh, I work on recognizing my feeling. That was a joke. Thank you. Um, but you can imagine that these pig herders are upset and afraid. There's a lot going on. One, this dude showed up and he took this guy who everybody has been terrified of and he cast the demons out of him, right? That in and of itself is pretty remarkable, and would cause you to pause and wonder what kind of person this is. But then the, the, the spirits go into these pigs and they destroy themselves. Well, now I'm mad if I'm a pig farmer. Those were my pigs. Now what am I going to do? Now, Mark doesn't tell us anything about what happens next with the pig farmers were they compensated for the pigs was there you know was did they were they insured we don't know <laughs> but we know that they're dead right and we know that the man who once was possessed is now sitting in his right mind delivered and whole we also know that it's verse 17 says, Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Understandable, really. They're afraid. Dude has just wrecked their herd. Um, maybe it's time, sir, for you to move on. Now, one of the most concise uh, descriptions of this verse in the commentaries that I looked at for this sermon said this sentence is just too good not to share it says the saddest thing in the whole story is that jesus granted their request and left them subtext be careful what you ask for now having said that what's amazing is that jesus doesn't leave them without the story because the man comes to Jesus and he begs to go with him, which totally makes sense, right? And if you'll remember, up until now, what has Jesus been telling the people that he delivers or heals when he's over on the other side of the lake? What does he say? Don't tell. Don't tell anybody. But not this guy. Not this Gentile guy who was just possessed with demons. No, this guy, he says, go and tell what God has done for you. 
That's amazing. Jesus has just commissioned his first evangelist. Evangelist. He hasn't told the disciples yet, go therefore into all the nations, baptizing all the, you know, the stuff we just read. He hasn't said that yet. But to this guy, go and tell. Go tell everybody what I did for you. Go tell everybody what God did for you. And the amazing thing is, is of course, this guy is like a walking sermon. He doesn't have to, like, explain everything because everybody knows who he was. When he shows up and he's in his right mind and he's whole and he's making sense and he's not hurting anybody and he's not ripping chains apart, that's a pretty good sermon. So Jesus says, go and tell. Now, we would do well to reflect on this part of the story. Because there is certainly a place for learned, credentialed teachers. Right? There's a place for that. But the door of the church, as our forefathers used to say in the covenant, the door of the church must never be made so small that those who confess Christ and desire to follow him are kept outside. This brother had no credentials other than the credential of having been possessed and broken and hurting and in desperate need of rescue and Jesus showing up and saying, you're whole, you're delivered, you're free. He doesn't need a master's of divinity. He doesn't need a Bible college certificate. He doesn't need a class in Bible theology or systematics or anything else. He simply needs to tell the story of what Jesus did for him. That's all. So friends, when you feel not up to the task... When you feel like you don't know how to witness, all you have to do is tell what Jesus did for you. What have you experienced? How have you been set free? How have you been healed? How was your life made whole by meeting Jesus? You don't have to give a defense You don't have to take a class in apologetics. You don't have to argue somebody into the kingdom. You simply have to tell your story. This is what Jesus did for me. This whole section of Mark, the theme is deliverance and healing and wholeness. Healing and wholeness was desperately sought by the demoniac. Desperately grasped for by the woman with the issue of blood in the next section. And hopelessly sought after by Jairus whose daughter lay dead. And everybody else said, just go away. She's gone. Each one of them wants desperately to experience the wholeness that Jesus brings. I love that Peter read from the First Nations translation last week because I love their name for Jesus. It's so appropriate for this chapter. Jesus is the creator who saves. 
And I'm not just talking about one day not going to hell. I'm talking about the creator who saves now. The creator who saves, who comes into our brokenness, who comes into our desperate situations, who comes into our hopeless place and brings deliverance. And so when we look at our broken and desperate and hurting world, when we live in a nation that is so obsessed with guns that we don't know how to respond, Jesus comes and he offers healing. But guess what? We have to step into it. It's not just magic. But there is healing and there is wholeness. Brothers and sisters, maybe you find yourselves today in the storm that happened right before this. And it seems like your boat's about to sink and you wonder why Jesus is sleeping in the front of the boat. Maybe you are in the battle of your life with oppression, depression, sickness, whatever it might be. You're in the battle of your life with forces or situations or circumstances that are legion. Maybe you, like the woman with the issue of blood, are desperately seeking healing, and you're so desperate that you will just reach out to touch his cloak because you know that healing is there. Maybe you feel that it's too late like Jairus, it's dead and there is no hope. But I am here to tell you that the Creator who saves, He sees you. And his desire is to bring wholeness to whatever your situation is. So brothers and sisters, this morning we have celebrated and affirmed baptism. We have been reminded of God's call in our lives to seek justice and mercy. And we have, and we have been reminded that Jesus is the creator who saves. But I have found that sometimes it is helpful to have a tactical experience of faith. And so I want to offer an opportunity this morning for you to come and to be reminded of your baptism. So Pastor Dan is going to stand right here behind this water, this bowl of water. And if you, so, if you feel moved and you'd like to do that, you can come down this center aisle and you can simply touch the waters of baptism. Dan will say some words over you. And then you can go back to your seats on the outside. I will be here. And I, I'm available to anoint you with oil. And to pray for healing or deliverance or whatever else you might like. And so friends. Come and experience the creator who saves.